Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from the Maine Community Foundation, working with donors and other partners to improve the quality of life for all Maine people on the web at maincf.org. The time's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with your host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works, to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns began in 1993 and with support from University of Maine Cooperative Extension, which puts knowledge to work with the University of Maine and WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. The framers of the U.S. Constitution were clear in setting boundaries between church and state. So why have there been so many attempts to frame the U.S. as a Christian nation? In her new book, historian Frances Fitzgerald writes how evangelical Protestants have attempted to shape America through the ages, and I'm so happy that uh, Frankie can join us here on Talk of the Towns to talk about her book, uh, The Evangelicals Conversation, and and, uh, we welcome your participation a little later on in the program. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Frankie. Thank you very much. It's so good to have you here. Um, this book, um, uh, you're you're approaching it as a history, and um, but you've you've written in the past. You've been writing articles, and um, your first um, major work, Fire in the Lake, won a Pulitzer Prize. Writing has always been part of your life. That's right. Yes, and and tell us a little bit about um, what got you interested in the evangelicals as a topic? Well, um, I say first uh, reading Richard Hofstetter's. um, But secondly, um, uh, it was sort of an accident. I I, um, was teaching in Lynchburg, Virginia, in one of the colleges there. And um, a professor said, you you should go to this big church across the street. It's a fundamentalist church. And um, I, as a New Yorker, had never, to my knowledge, met a fundamentalist before. <laughs> and so I, I went, of course, and it turned out to be Jerry Falwell's church. And furthermore, it was the, it was the very year that he started the Moral Majority. Mm. So um, uh, I did um, um, a piece for the New Yorker about – not just about him, but about his community, because I was, I was interested in – what it was to be a fundamentalist and um, um, how people became fundamentalists. And what was different from your own growing up? I understand you grew up in the Episcopal tradition. What was different about what you saw in Falwell's church and community and and how you grew up? Well, I mean, it was a great deal that was different. I mean, the whole emphasis of of, um, um, Scripture teaching was in in the sense that— I think Falwell puts his emphasis on on the um, on um, uh, uh, Saint Paul, mm-hmm. and um, whereas the Episcopal Church tends to concentrate on the Gospels, mm. and um, it, but more than that, um, uh, 
church for 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 Falwell and for most fundamentalists is is a um, is is a is not just going somewhere on Sunday morning. Mm. It's really um, um, a whole week long. Um, I mean, you can spend your your whole time there if you want, mm-hmm. because um, there are various um, Bible studies, but also you can you know send your children uh, to school um, uh, there. You can um, um, uh, go on expeditions here and there. Um, you can um, uh, talk to pastors at any time, and they'll come and visit you and. Um, it's um, they try and um, create at least for certainly for children an, an, a substitute to the for for the world what they call the world mm. and um, mm. so sort of not just to keep them out of trouble but but also to teach them um, in their um, Christian. Uh, doctrines. Mm. So the, there was a notion that they were attempting to create a, a safe place for their their um, adherents, right. um, and that was perhaps different than than the mainline Protestant churches, which really was a Sunday morning kind of thing. And maybe you went to church choir or you know you did something else in the week, but it was more of a Sunday morning kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So um, you've introduced the first term. I wanted to find out more about um, as you as you wrote the book. Um, you had to define some of those terms. Fundamentalist. What? What? How would you define that? Well, um, fundamentalist is is, is as, as someone said, um, an evangelical who's mad about something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we better find out about evangelicals too. So, yes. fundamentalists. Um, what would they, what would they adhere to in terms of beliefs? Well, um, the I think I think the the, uh, the 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 first thing to be said about them is that that they are. Militantly against um, liberal religions and a liberal liberal uh, Protestantism and um, uh, secularism. Mm. So that's probably you know the most defining thing about them. And secondly, um, they tend to be more um, uh, strict about interpretations. Uh, that all, most of them would take the Bible pretty literally, I mean, as literally as possible. Mm-hmm. And um, um, would, for example, um, believe in creationism as opposed to evolution. Um, and um, uh, they, as they stress, again, certain, certain parts of the Bible as opposed to others. They also, are, they also tend to be um, premillennialists, which is to say that um, they believe that uh, um, uh, Christ may come return at any moment, and that um, he he will have this enormous struggle with with the forces of Satan, and during which time humanity will go through these ter- seven years of terrible tribulations, mm. and um, only the true Christians will escape this by by because um, Christ will bring. Rapture them up into the air, mm-hmm. um, and uh, of course, by the end of the, uh, this enormous battle at Armageddon, um, Christ will uh, be victorious with his hosts, and um, then then the uh, world becomes new again. It becomes mm-hmm. it becomes he- heaven. Mm-hmm. 
So um, that is uh, is evangelical the largest um, kind of category, and then fundamentalists are part of that category. How would you? That's kind of, right. Right. And it, um, evangelical is somewhat diffi- difficult to define in the sense that um, that it takes in all kinds of denominations uh, and each of which has their own particular emphasis. I mean, going from um, um, real Calvinists to Pentecostals, who are not at all Calvinistic hmm. in their... In their um, uh, and um, w- what scholars have decided are the defining characteristics are, first of all, um, um, uh, an emphasis on... Um, um, Christ's death as 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 the way to salvation for Christians. Um, so the notion that Christ died for our sins that that yes, notion mm-hmm. absolutely and um, and for the sin of Adam. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, this a, a very high view of the Bible, um, the Bible as as the uh, overarching authority for all um, a Christian beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, and third and fourth, um, uh, a, a belief that um, that people must be born again as as adults. I mean, take Christ into their life and cha- have their lives changed by this uh, emotional experience in order to be Christians. Hmm. And and then um, then they have a duty to spread the faith towards others. To proselytize. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the, the, all of those characteristics taken together um, are de- an attempt to define evangelicals, um, and, and and we've seen shifts in that um, over the years. So take us back, if you could, to um, the origins of the nation, and were evangelicals part of of that, or what were we, what were people thinking about religion when the U.S. started? When the, the colonies were here, and and there was right. the the notion of uh, Puritans coming to the U.S. Yeah. Well, um, of course, all Protestants um, take their faith from the Reformation, but in different ways. Mm-hmm. And in the, in at the beginning of settlement, um, there were Puritans on one hand, and Anglicans on the other, um, and uh, uh, Evangelicals. There was there was a, the, in in the um, uh, late 18th century and early 19th century, uh, two separate waves of revivals that mm. went, went through northern Europe, um, particularly the English-speaking parts of it, and and North America, um, which um, um, brought people almost directly to 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 uh, um, this decision uh, of whether to be uh, a Christian or not. Uh, immediately, and um, you know, some of these revivals were in, in out in the in, in the um, uh, frontiers were sort of wild affairs where people would uh, um, faint and, and uh, uh, laugh hysterically and um, dance around and, and fall into fall into stupors um, um, with the sheer ecstasy of. Um, uh, Feeling their feeling their sins and their sins being forgiven, hmm. um, and uh, so um, uh, that was what. By the end of by by the time of the Civil War, anyway, 
virtually all Protestants in, in the U.S. were evangelicals. Um, a few holdouts, um, mm-hmm. but but uh, not that many. And um, but the but the word had a very different meaning then than it does today because um, um, since everybody was an evangelical, um, the word lost its meaning, mm. uh, and uh, it wasn't until um, uh, a. F- the, the fundamentalist movement was was uh, born in the in the late nineteenth century. Um, that um, um, uh, that the, that there was a real difference between between one kind of church and another, and um, um, it was it was Billy Graham actually who first used the word evangelical to refer to uh, conservative Protestants and. Um, uh, who who kind of set the new, um, the, what we now think of as evangelicals um, mm. um, uh, uh, together as a group. So if we if we go back to the framers of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, um, that wasn't necessarily um, an evangelical group. Um, those were mainline Protestants for the most part. Well, they, some of them weren't even that. I okay. mean, many of them were deists. Okay. Um, who who uh, um, believed in God, but not but not Christ. Okay. And um, you know, uh, Jefferson, who did believe in Christ to up to a point, but actually cut out um, pages from his Bible that he didn't like and, and um, you know, left a much shorter uh, uh-huh. document. <laughs> so um, do you, do you um, talk about in the book the, the notion of this separation between church and state that, that um, the framers of the Constitution had in mind? Yes, and uh, I, th- I think the main concern at that point was that... that um, um, there shouldn't be a, a state-subsidized church. Right. Um, and um, before that, the the colonies and the uh, states had had subsidized their churches, and that that was allowed to continue. But it stopped of its own after the after the federal government um, uh, refused to uh, allow these subsidies or or sort of favoritism. So. So um, it, it, as we think about um, communities in Maine, which were part of Massachusetts at the time, the the preacher, um, the the pastor, was uh, funded by taxes. They days. were, they right. were, they were. So that absolutely. was the that was the separation that they were talking about. We don't want that to be um, a state religion. And it was essentially an evangelical idea in the beginning because um, uh, evangelicals um, in in the late eighteenth century were the were the uh, um, the the rebels against the uh, established churches, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, so they they said, you know, you're holding us back, and um, um, and um, eventually there, you know, there grew up so many different uh, kinds of uh, Protestantism in the U.S. that that by the time the Constitution was made, um, uh, pra- practically no one wanted. Um, to have only one mm. church. Mm-hmm. The splintering had started to happen, in other words, starting with the Reformation, but then continuing on and, and in a very American kind of style. Protestantism is endlessly vociferous. I mean, it right. just uh, uh, con- is constantly dividing and, 
and um, sometimes combining back again. Mm. Um, so it's difficult to keep track of, you know. Right. We're, we're um, talking with uh, Francis Fitzgerald, the winner of the Pulitzer Prize for Fire in the Lake and author of The Evangelicals, a con- conversation we're having this morning here on Talk of the Towns. Um, the the uh, Most evangelicals would probably use Calvin as their base, what did you learn about Calvin, and, and would Calvin be surprised about how his his teachings, um, his philosophy has been translated into the modern day? Oh, sure, because, you know, um, since since then, well, f- first of all, they're Lutherans, too, so that's an, another part of the Reformation. Okay, yeah. But um, also there was, there was for a while a very um, sort of dogmatic spell um, after— after the death of Calvin and Luther, um, in which um, uh, these scholastics tried to um, um, have a ha- have a doctrine as tight as the Catholic do- doctrines, in order to to uh, um, fight the Catholics, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so they in some ways imitated them, um, and so uh, some some Calvinists in the United States. Um, Imitated this this uh, um, second wave, if you want Calvinism. Um, others sort of dismissed a whole lot of it. I mean, Methodism, for example, um, uh, came out of the Anglican Church, um, but it was considerably more um, um, uh, free will um, uh, and. Um, uh, a, a much sort of a softer, gentler mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. religion. You you didn't uh, you didn't absolutely have to you know do some of these things. That, but um, I I think free will is the, is, is is sort of the key um, uh, because Calvinists, including the Puritans, you know, uh, just um, believed that God was totally omnipotent. And um, that essentially nothing happened without his doing mm. it. Mm. So the the, um, the theological uh, turning points that we've talked about so far have been outside of or before the U.S. And then the the uh, you've talked about the, the different waves of Reformation, often in the frontiers, and and that, that splintering of of um, evangelicals happened when there weren't necessarily um, uh, people enforcing a set of beliefs. They kind of sprang up. Right. I mean, the Puritans um, were had had very tightly woven communities where everybody knew their place. Mm. And um, uh, they were very hierarchical in terms of um, their their authority structure, both in the church and state, which were this, virtually the same thing. And um, when when the when Americans started to move out of these um, communities into the quote wilderness, um, uh, these communities kind of broke apart, mm-hmm. and um, so therefore the. the uh, evangelicalism was in, was in many ways an a- adaptation to um, new circumstances. And part of those circumstances um, were that um, the Puritans had um, uh, scholars and they had um, places of higher education and um, their pastors were, were university trained. Right. The evangelicals largely were not, at least at first. They were self-grown. Is that right? 
Well, um, that was true of, of the Baptists and Methodists. Okay. Um, less true of the Presbyterians, who were who were also they who um, um, uh, actually lost out in the contest for mm. numbers of souls because um, they they had a uh, they had. Um, had to have more educated pastors and uh, um, a more elaborate set of doctrines, um, whereas the Methodists and the Baptists felt, um, you know, if you were born again, that was okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That this that in the beginning, anyway. Mm-hmm. And and so let's um, again parallel the mainline Protestant churches with what was happening. Um, what would how would you define the mainline Protestant churches as opposed to the evangelicals? What would they what would they look like today? What what denominations are we talking about today? Well, I mean, as I say, as I said. Um, um, Virtually all denominations became evangelical in okay. the 19th century, so there was no distinction. The distinction occurred um, um, uh, really during the um, fundamentalist conflict with the mainline denominations. Early on, um, yeah, I mean that that happened um, actually in the in the around the 1880s, and it it started then, and and, it, and the total break came in. Early in the in the twentieth century, um, when when um, fundamentalists actually um, tried to take over um, several denominations, Baptists, Presbyterians, uh, um, mainly, and um, they failed because um, not because uh, there were so many liberals or so, or so many. Um, modernists, as they were called generally, but but because um, most most um, people in in these denominations wanted to keep them together um, in order to um, continue to um, uh, proselytize, um, for the, uh, to continue their missions abroad, and so forth. Mm. Um, so um, uh, the fundamentalists lost. They were essentially forgotten by the mainline churches and by by the press and so forth for a long time until really until Billy Graham came along in um, sort of 1949 after World War II um, when he he was he was then a fundamentalist and when he st- started um, bringing together these enormous crowds. Um, you know, everybody had to take notice. Mm. So, so he was bringing together crowds that were disparate in some ways, but he was bringing a group back together. That's right. Mm. And but nobody understood how how much fun, the fundamentalist churches had grown during that period, um, because they just neglected them. They didn't want mm-hmm. to know about them really. Mm-hmm. And this has happened often in history, where, where you know, I I think that you know, when when something. An election happens and so forth. Um, uh, people have to ask or answer all over again: What is a fundamentalist? What is an evangelical? Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, I mean, today um, the, the evangelicals make up perhaps a, um, 
a third to a quarter of the population. Mm. So the, the Billy Graham is an example, but the, certainly his his uh, uh, the people before him were beginning to use modern techniques to reach out to to people, radio and eventually uh, television as well. And and Graham kind of brought it all together into one one piece. It, and um, it was partly what he preached, um, mm-hmm. uh, because he he um, he soon. Um, moved. It re- he realized that the fundamentalist message was too narrow, and, um, and that they were essentially too bigoted to create the national revival that he wanted. Mm, mm. Um, and so um, he uh, he very much moderated his um, doctrine, and he cooperated with um, e- even some of the mainline churches. Um, and and he had an ear of, of the presidents. During oh, his so. his yes, era, he did, right, yeah, right. But uh, but um, it was it was he that uh, um, took up. He, he called him. He didn't want to call himself a fundamentalist any longer, um, or, or a mainliner. He, he called himself an evangelical, mm, mm. and um, so that that, that term um, spread then, which was only you know in the nineteen fifties. Mm. So the the notion of the Christian right. Um, um, I think that's the story since Billy Graham, um, yeah. that there's this notion that politics and religion needed to come back together, at least in the eyes of some. And the, a chapter since the 1950s, really, that's the chapter of the emergence of, of the Christian right. Right. Although that, that, that happened mainly in the 1970s. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and it happened, first of all, um, I, I think as a result of the civil rights movement, but Secondly, the sort of social revolution on the campuses, mm. you know, feminism and gay liberation and and uh, uh, the protests against the Vietnam War and so on. And uh, a lot of people, um, a lot of them Southerners, um, simply rebelled against this. And um, uh, you'd find these rebellions all, all over the country. But... Um, uh, at that point, that was the sort of heyday of um, uh, of um, television evangelists, and um, um, they 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 uh, sort of uh, became the heads of this um, rather grassroots movement, mm. and um, virtually all of them were Southerners. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Jerry Falwell formed a political organization, the Moral Majority, and. Um, there were a few others uh, uh, in, ca- in California, but um, his was the most prominent, and um, um, he uh, supported Ronald Reagan against uh, Jimmy Carter, who was who was an evangelical himself. Mm. Mm. So the the rebellion that you spoke of um, is really rebellion or or the the distrust of the secular world. Um, and w- what is so f- um, frightening about the secular world for the fundamentalists or the evangelical? Well, <clears throat> they they think that this will finally dr- drown out Christianity. I, I mean, see. that's mainly the the point. Um, and uh, and of course, they disagree with them on on a whole host of issues, which were, were pretty much. Um, um, uh, Begun or were invented then by the by Falwell et al, um, the first uh, people on the Christian right, and it, 
a lot of it had to do with the family um, and uh, all those all those things which we know about, like being anti-abortion and um, anti-gay rights um, um, for prayer in the school, that kind of thing, really all had to do with, with um, the maintenance of the uh, traditional family, the traditional Victorian family. Mm, mm. We're talking with uh, Francis Fitzgerald, author of The Evangelicals, and um, our conversation here on WERU. We'll open up our phone lines um, any minute now and, and ask for your participation. Um, as we continue our conversation, the number is one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. So the, the, the notion of, of the Christian right getting involved in the, in the um, Reagan um, um, uh, election, uh, perhaps before that, um, uh, Nixon is, was in, involved in this in terms of courting evangelicals. I think all presidents have probably courted evangelicals to one extent or another. Um, what, what? I don't think Nixon really did, though. What he, he courted, he courted Billy Graham. Okay. Um, and, but Billy Graham never had a movement, a political movement okay. behind, behind him at all. Um, but what Nixon did, um, as, as did Barry Goldwater before him, was was um, st- um, start to turn turn the South Republican, mm-hmm. and that process took quite a long time. Um, and uh, you know, one of the sort of um, Big moments what was 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 uh, Falwell's um, creation of the Christian right, um, because then then there was a sort of organize a way to organize the religious groups in the South, like the Southern Baptist Convention, and so forth. Um, but um, I, I'd say that you know the presidency was the first thing that they concentrated on, uh, or or the, that they that Southerners changed their changed their um, minds about and then it went went um, down slowly through the you know the the senate and the congress and and uh, local representatives who tended to be quite conservative anyway um whereas the the, the democratic presidency was was um of course had a whole lot of northerners in it and um uh and so, as did the republicans for, for, at that period in the se- in the 70s uh, and uh, but it, quite deliberately, the Republican Party went to the right on on these social issues, and the Democratic Party went to the left, mm-hmm. and creating this ideological divide over social issues. So it was it was both geographical, uh, north and south, and then political. These, these divides. Yes, and and also religious. Oh, right, right, yeah. yeah. So this this um, notion that um, the Christian right um, had sway, um, especially in the presidential um, elections, but then increasingly working themselves down to local local politics, um, describe the rise of that, and then perhaps um, we'll get to the f- the fall of that as well. Well, I, I'd say that um, by by the end of the eighties, uh, uh, the um, the South had become almost entirely Republican, and it certainly it showed up in the in the Congress during the 1990s, where, where when um, virtually all the leaders of the Republican Party were Southerners. Um, uh, at the same time, the Christian right um, gained power, um, particularly through the Southern Baptist Convention, which which was enormous. 
Um, and of course, the northern, the northern um, evangelicals were Republicans to begin with. Be- why? Because so were the mainline Protestants. I mean, you know, they were, they were, belonged to the party of Lincoln. You know. Um, Which goes back to the so Civil, goes, Civil War goes and back the, a long way, and the notion of slavery, and right. that certainly again that notion of of uh, losing the South to the Democrats losing the South had to do with, with slavery, and then the the, the um, Johnson um, election as well. Well, it had to do with the Civil Rights Act of yeah, yeah. nineteen sixty four sixty five, but the addition of the of the Southern evangelicals to the Northern evangelicals. Mm-hmm. Turned the whole whole um, uh, group Republican. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they they gained this this notion of of wanting to play a political role that wasn't always um, consistent with early teachings, though that that we should maintain evangelicals felt that they should maintain in a separate um, kind of um, their own world. So w- what led to this notion that they should sh- they should be really influencing politics? Was it just the the notion of the the civil um, uh, issues of the day? I, I don't think actually it was all that new. I mean, um, you know, even in the South, um, you know, it was it was a doctrine called the, the spirituality of the church, meaning it shouldn't um, involve itself in politics. But in practice. Um, uh, it involved itself in all kinds of things like, you know, prohibition uh, locally, um, the blue laws, and um, a, a host of smaller issues. Go gambling. Um, uh, just not – it's just not segregation, just not um, um, – Slavery in the first place. Okay, so um, again, the the, the rise um, you would say uh, took us through um, the into the nineties, um, and then that's things, right. Things began to break up again. Well, um, they uh, not really visibly, but um, um, it, the the uh, the majority for um, George Bush um, the second um, George W. Bush. Was um, was smaller than um, for um, his predecessors, um, even Bob Dole, um, and uh, um, it wasn't until his his um, second election that um, uh, where the issue of gay marriage came up very strongly that that um, he began he that he pulled a great many more evangelical votes and but then then. Um, Almost exactly in two thousand and five, just after the second election, um, there was a real sort of under undercurrent um, in at least the northern evangelical world, saying, "You know, we're getting too close to politics. Um, we are being identified as Republicans rather than evangelicals." People forget we. That we're actually a religious group and not a political one. Hmm. They, they, they. People identify um, all of us with the religious right and, and the Republican Party. So, um, uh, numbers of people began to pull away. Um, uh, Some more progressive groups began to sort of pull pull back and pull away from 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 that, and um, uh, and it, it it showed up by. Mainly because they undertook um, issues that were not um, those of the religious right, 
um, mostly social justice issues, um, uh, concerns about poverty, uh, about um, um, climate change, um, about about um, um, uh, employments. So those were using, you know, um, their principles, their values, their Christian values, yeah. I suppose, yeah. but applied to different kinds of issues than the ones that were so divisive. Gay rights, um, gay marriage, um, yes, abortion. Yes, mostly these these right. these, these um, personal social issues. Uh-huh. That, uh-huh. Uh, and uh, um, what what became different about them too was that you know um, evangelicalism has always been very um, individualistic. I mean, a person's relationship is directly to God. It doesn't go through the Pope or mm-hmm. anything else, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and um, the under, their understanding of institutions has been, been um, um, small because um, they believe really that, that the only way things get better on earth is, is the, by, by the conversion of, of one soul after another and uh, not by um, um, some institutional change. Um, so, so the the breakaways um, uh, were all, we became rather much more institutionally minded and uh, saw poverty as as more than um, just An individual. the problem of one right. person after another. Right, but also I think in this time some of the um, the leaders of the various um, strands were beginning to wither and die. So we well, we saw a- we saw um, their power, and perhaps some of it was due to to um, um, uh, corruption. Part part of it was due to being caught um, in the wrong side of a, a religious um, social issue. Um, so there began to be some some holes in the in the fabric a little bit. Well, that happened next, mm-hmm. and um, you know, death of Falwell and some and and his peers, and what it. Um, so that t- took away a kind of level of leadership, but um, more important, it was it was an age group. Mm-hmm. Um, it, those people, the Falwells, had gone through um, what to them was the, was the real trauma of the nineteen sixties, um, and and this this re- campus rebellion. Um, whereas those this, the, the next generation had not, and furthermore. Um, they had gotten used to many things secular, and so, so un- underneath all of this, I mean, um, uh, things began to change. You know, um, Christian music, quote unquote, used to be uh, you know just a matter of sort of ballads and so forth. But you know, finally there was Christian rock and roll, um, uh, which. Uh, Shocked people, it's, it's traditionalists like Jimmy Swaggart and so on, um, uh, and there was, um, uh, you know, a diff- different um, style of, uh, of worship. The mega churches came in to fashion, in which um, the, the uh, you know people's denominations didn't count anymore, and uh, within the church, um, and a whole host of sort of things that went on underneath and, and um, that um, 
and finally, the sort of third generation, if you want, I mean, it's um, the millennial generation, um, uh, was quite used to um, homosexuality. I mean, the gay rights seemed quite reasonable to them because they'd grown up with them. They'd mm-hmm. grown up with uh, gay friends or, or gay people on television and so on. So so um, even that, that core an issue um, sort of started to disappear. Um, abortion really is the only one that's survived. Mm-hmm. So um, we're going to bring this to the to the um, most recent election, which um, uh, you you finished the book basically um, before um, the most recent presidential election. Uh, we'll come to that in, in just a minute. But I'll again welcome our listeners to give us a call at one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight as we talk with uh, Frankie Fitzgerald, author of the Evangelicals. Um, so the 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 um, there were. Kurt Lewin talks about things freezing and then breaking apart, and and you, I think your description, your history of the evangelicals was this process well of, of kind of coming together and then beginning to break apart. Right. Um, so um, take us into the Obama era, if you will, and what was happening um, in in the evangelical movement at that point. Well, the people who came to the fore during that. Obama's presidency were essentially the progressives, mm. and um, uh, they they um, gone on some of his boards, and they um, they gave benedictions, and um, Rick Warren was up there, um, um, and um, I I think you know there was a kind of a, a simmering in the background of of the Christian right, who were you know way out of power at that point, and. And lacked um, lacked real leadership, um, so um, uh, everyone that they, people have said this many times. I mean, observers, the Christian right is dead now. Of course, it is never really. So this dead. was during the Obama yeah, era. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Um, and of course, it wasn't as it turned out because um, um, again, another election comes along and. There's an enormous evangelical vote for the Republican. Mm, mm. And and what was – did they see just no alternative um, um, so that they were voting um, clearly just um, to kind of preserve their sense of the world, um, voting for Trump? Well, um, what was interesting was the primaries, mm. less than the election, because in the primaries there were at least four candidates who were evangelicals or – or proto-evangelicals, Catholics who went to Mario um, um, Cuomo, Rubio, oh, Rubio, Marco um, Rubio, Marco yep. Mar- went to a, uh, an evangelical church, though he was a Catholic. Mm. Any case, there were there are, there were um, several people t- to choose from, and um, the religious right uh, uh, um, leaders, such as they were at that time, got together, fifty of them, and said. We have to go for one candidate, and their choice was Ted Cruz, um, and that was logical enough. He 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 was a, um, a Southern Baptist, very and um, very much on the Christian right, and it was to their immense surprise that um, uh, that that their followers didn't follow them, and and um, uh, I think forty percent in the primaries voted for Trump. Mm. And um, uh, 
so um, once Trump had won the primaries, it was natural that he that he would uh, win win um, the evangelical vote because he was a Republican. I mean that they had so been, they had become so enmeshed with one another, evangelicals yeah. and the Republican Party, yeah. that it really wasn't any choice. No, right. We'll take a phone call. Um, welcome to Heather from Jackson, I believe. <coughs> Go ahead with your question or comment uh, as we talk with Frankie Fitzgerald here on. WERU's Talk of the Towns. Hi, thanks for taking my call and fascinating, fascinating uh, guest and discussion. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how the religious right has uh, combined forces or perhaps been adopted by um, uh, mainstream corporate thinking. Um, You know, the connection between, um, certainly um, you go to a lot of churches and it's uh, the... um, uh, the sense that the individual has power over everything and um, circumstances are not so important, and that's a little bit the same message of the corporate world. And, of course, you see corporate leaders like uh, the Koch brothers um, aligning themselves with that language and with those um, constituencies. Um, I don't know if your book addresses this, but I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Great. Thank you. Thanks so much, Heather, for your question. Um, one of the things we didn't talk about was this notion that um, that uh, um, if you're a good person, you'll be successful in life. So uh, there's part of that in in what the corporations are saying too. But um, see, say how would you, how would you address Heather's question? Well, uh, as a part of um, even Falwell's message long ago was um, um, uh, low taxes, um, small government. Uh, Small, no less, much less regulation. Um, uh, they, I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call the mainstream. It, it was, it was the right. It was the right wing of the Republican Party that they've always belonged to, and um, a great many of them joined the Tea Party in in uh, 2010. Mm. Um, and and uh, uh, it's. It, it wasn't contradictory. It was just that that they were joining a secular movement for the first time, really. And um, I think they've become, as far as the presidency goes, they've become quite, quite um, pragmatic in the sense that they they believe that if anybody's Republican, they will um, serve their agenda better than any Democrat. And and this goes. Um, uh, for the social issues, but also for economic ones, which because they are really quite right wing mm. and always have been in an economic fashion. Mm. So this this notion um, you spoke earlier that um, evangelicals aren't too comfortable with large institutions. Does that translate into large government? Is that part of what their suspicion is about large government, or is it just social issues that that uh, drive them? Do you suppose? Well, no, I, I think it. I think you're right, but um, it's also in the South, it's states' rights. Okay, yes. yes. And um, uh, it's just the idea of federal government in intrusion into um, um, people's lives. It's, it was it's fairly new for the South. I mean, um, it just didn't happen really until the civil rights movement. Right, right, right. So um, um, evangelicals in the age of Trump, um, we see the figure, 81% of white evangelicals voted for uh, President Trump. Um, and and recently, I think last week, we saw kind of a laying on of the hands um, in the in the White House. How do you see um, the Trump presidency and evangelicals evolving? Um, 
Well, you, you know, there were there there were some evangelicals who protested this um, uh, terrifically, um, including um, one of the most important figures in the Southern Baptist Convention, and he he's been in trouble since then. But however, depending on what happens to Trump, um, you know, um, uh, and what he does or doesn't do for for evangelicals. Um, uh, the sentiment may turn away from him. Um, um, they got one thing that they wanted, which is which was a a, um, a, 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 a Supreme Court justice um, who would listen to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, but as for their other d- desires, they haven't had any yet. I suppose you could say that uh, <coughs> Vice President Pence is part of of um, what they would hope for. Well, actually, that's right, and and there and I think there there are four cabinet um, um, posts filled with with people who are either um, uh, Christian right or allied with them. Mm. And you know what, what's been happening at the EPA is is a, is a. Uh, uh, um, a demonstration. Mm, mm. Listen, our phone number is one more time, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. as we talk with Frankie Fitzgerald about um, her new book, The Evangelicals. Um, so, uh, you know, as we begin to, to wrap up the hour, I'd like to turn to kind of let's step back and, and um, look at the, the big swath. What would you say about the evangelicals' hope um, to influence um, the, the kind of the arc of of the U.S. What, what lessons do we take from from that? Right. Well, they've certainly um, uh, um, had a huge effect on American politics. Um, I, I I think the, the the ideological divisions really starts with them, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's not just a Trump phenomenon, you know. It goes back quite quite a way, but I think that it there um, the Christian rights notion that everything is either right or wrong, it's good or bad, doesn't allow for compromise, mm. and this is what what has happened. Let's take another phone call from Bradley from Owl's Head. Go ahead with your question or comment, please, Bradley. Hey, hello. How you doing? Uh, hey, thanks a lot uh, for having the show on. I have a question. Uh, our uh, statement question saying, uh, uh, how does they, how does anyone explain the fact that the evangelicals, even the more liberal ones, insist that the Earth, our Earth, our planet is 9,000 years old at the most. Even John Boehner, our ex, uh, what, majority leader there, said, the Earth is 9,000 years at the most. Only someone with, like, severe mental illness could even <laughs> suggest or believe such a thing. I mean, how is that explained? Oh, my God, I have main tourmaline crystals I have personally harvested from Oxford County in Maine that are over 200 million years old. They look pristine, brand new. I mean, 
what is that about? <laughs> great, Thank you. Great question, Bradley. And and I I visited the Grand Canyon a couple of years ago and and saw a, you know a tour bus. It says creationism um, and an interpretation of the Grand Canyon. Right. So um, these beliefs are very unshakable for for some. They're very deep. Why? Because it, for for those who evangelicals and it's mostly fundamentalist um, or fundamentalistic uh, evangelicals. Um, take uh, you know the first few verses of Genesis um, extremely seriously, and uh, um, uh, the earth for them was created all at once, and they some sometimes differ on uh, how many thousand years. But sure. but um, um, uh, and I you know I think that some of them you know the less educated people truly truly believe that, and other people um, have a way of. Um, uh, holding two opinions in their head at the same time, you know, mm. and because uh, um, I, I know that um, some of Jerry Falwell's students, um, who are necessarily creationists, uh, have gone on to work in in um, microbiology, mm. Um, mm. and um, some some um, uh, think of of um, evolution as being a fact, uh, just not human evolution, you huh. know, huh. Um, and. Uh, so, and 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 some people, as I say, have have completely different opinions in their head at the same time. Great. Let's take one final question from one of our listeners, George from Unity. Go ahead with your question or comment. Yeah, please. I was wondering if um, she could talk about the the Supreme Court case that the Amish won against the state of Wisconsin, which allows uh, them and other religious groups to run their schools without any uh, public input or without any input from any state or oversight. Um, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not familiar with this. <coughs> is this um, something very new? <coughs> is this, is this um, Yeah, the, the collar is gone. So, we'll, we, But maybe this notion of, of the separation of church and state with regard to schools. Oh, right. Um, that's that's the, at the core of the question, I think. Yes. Well, certainly um, um, uh, Betsy DeVos, who's uh, education um, uh, cabinet mem- minister um, believed that that uh, um, all schools um, um, ought, ought to be elective, and uh, that um, the government should should um, uh, pay for private schools of and for religious schools of any denomination, and. Um, um, has has no real interest in 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 keeping up the the uh, standard that has always been been um, with us indeed since the evangelicals the early <laughs> the early ones right, in talk, terms of their belief in yeah. education um, and uh, that 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 it should be um, um, uh, uh, as much as possible without. A religious religious bias. Mm-hmm. So again, those are going to unfold. I'm sure. Um, our our last question is really: if we see the evangelicals kind of um, helping to create polarization um, in the United States, um, are there elements that are going to try to bring that to, to um, diminish that polarization? What what would you see the future being? Well, I think um, certainly the. The uh, progressive evangelicals are trying to do this, and they, because um, um, uh, at least the ones I know, don't believe in in out- outlawing 
um, things like abortion. They, they don't believe in abortion, but they believe in in um, persuasion as opposed to uh, laws. Mm. And um, so at that point, you, you can make a whole lot of uh, compromises and um, uh, things become, um, you know, more normal and less polarized. Um, and the younger generation um, seems to be more like them than than the, the older one. Hmm. So the notion that that um, they will still adhere to their beliefs and they will try to act out of those beliefs, but they're not necessarily um, so locked into creating laws that force everybody else to believe as they do or exactly. act as they do. Hmm. You, you know, if you belong to a certain church, you 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 follow those the rules of that church, but mm-hmm. you don't don't uh, necessarily um, um, want to. Uh, make the entire nation in its image. Mm. I think your book um, does so much to help people understand our history. And um, I know that uh, many would, would say, I'm really puzzled about the um, the, uh, the Sunnis and the, um, what's the other? Shia. The Shia. <laughs> and, and yet we have as much confusion about our history in terms of the different beliefs and strands of belief. Yeah. And so your book really does so much to help us see it all in focus. So thank you so much for writing it and for being a guest here on Talk of the Towns. Well, thank you very much for having me. Great. We've come to that End of the hour, be sure to join us from 10 to 11 on the second Friday of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of our programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. If you have comments or suggestions for topics, please email us at news at weru.org. And tune in to our companion program, Coastal Conversations, with Natalie Springle of University of Maine Sea Grant at 10 to 11 on the fourth Friday of each month. Our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Thanks so much again to Francis Fitzgerald, author of The Evangelicals. Uh, Thanks to those who listened and called in. Thanks to our underwriters. Uh, Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is your host, Ron Beard, wishing you a good morning. Mm